we have it. It's so great to be with you. And uh, thank you so much to the Good Key family for that wonderful singing. Uh, it's great to be with you and great to be with you live. Uh, I'll tell you, a year and a half in my 10 by 10 office teaching phys ed and uh, speaking on Sundays got a little old. So it is so great to be here physically with you. And trust the Lord will bless you for uh, being here. Hello to those that are at home, uh, worshiping with us, joining us on Zoom. And uh, for those around the building, we do appreciate all who have made the service possible today. Thank you to Phil um, as well. And uh, it's, again, a great privilege to be with you today. I, 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 someone had asked me if I'd met uh, Gary, and I said, I'm sure we've met. And he reminded me today it was on the gridiron, the field of dreams up at Wildwood Bible Camp in a little football game. I hope my competitive juices were good that day, Gary. Yeah, you, know, you never know. If not, I apologize. But it was great to, uh, to be here. And uh, we trust the Lord will really bless you um, as we consider these, this wonderful series that you're engaged in here at Wallenstein entitled Living Hope. We trust the darkest days of COVID are behind us. Uh, and, and I empathize with those who are here, no doubt, who have experienced uh, loss, who have experienced loneliness, who have experienced ill health, who have experienced financial issues, whatever you have experienced, we empathize with you. And, and not in any way to belittle those experiences. I'm here this morning to encourage you with a tremendous message of hope, a message of hope that extends beyond our present circumstances and in fact extends into all eternity. I don't know about you, but I've had many opportunities to talk about hope as we've struggled to varying degrees over this last year and a half. Uh, what does it mean to hope? I'm sure that's been defined for you, <laughs> but I looked it up this week. To hope. It's a wonderful thought. It's a wonderful concept. It's a wonderful word. To hope for something is to look forward to it with desire and reasonable confidence. To hope for something is to look forward to it with desire and reasonable confidence. Rather than being full of hope, our world is being characterized by fear. And as I've shared over and over again with many people uh, on Zoom, uh, at school, uh, in Google Classroom Meets, and all that stuff I've learned about. <laughs> I've shared with them that the antidote to fear is facts and faith. The antidote to fear is facts and faith. And I'm here this morning to tell you that faith in the facts of Scripture eliminates fear and produces hope both for now and for all eternity. I've entitled today's message, The Facts of Our Faith. And I was reading earlier in the week a devotional by C.H. Spurgeon, and he was commenting on Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, in this statement that says, The people who know their God shall stand firm. Uh, Daniel eleven thirty-two. The people who know the facts, who know their God, shall stand firm. And in part, he says, knowledge strengthens hope. How can we hope for something if we don't know of its existence? Hope may be the telescope, but until we receive instruction, our ignorance blocks our view, and we can see nothing. Knowledge or facts removes the blockage, and when we look through the 
bright optic glass, we discover the glory to be revealed and anticipate it with joyful confidence. Are you fearful this morning, friends? The antidote to fear is faith in the facts of Scripture. What are the, these facts that when understood and embraced by faith eliminate fear and produce hope? Well, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then we find our Scripture reading this morning. We'll read verses 20 to 28. And then we will go back and just set a context from the early, earlier verses of this chapter. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, that is found on page 815 for those that might be using the Pew Bible in front of you here in the chapel. Here we find these words written by the Apostle Paul, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And the people said, Amen. Amen. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. The Lord will bless us the reading of his word this morning. Lord, we just, we just call upon the power of your Holy Spirit to, to instruct us, to teach us, to comfort us, to guide us in your truth. May everything that is said and done bring glory and honor to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 28, please notice that faith in the facts eliminates fear and produces hope. The facts we're going to consider this morning concern, first of all, the Lord's resurrection, obviously. Secondly, the Lord's return, that is referred to in verse 23. And thirdly, the Lord's reign, verses 25 to 28. The Lord's resurrection, the Lord's return, and the Lord's reign. Faith, in fact, you're going to hear me say this a lot, but faith in the facts eliminates fear and produces hope. Let's consider, first of all, the facts concerning the resurrection. Verse 20 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, before we can consider what we find here in verses 20 to 28, we need to understand the context of this, this chapter. Uh, Paul is writing this letter uh, to the church at Corinth to, to, to straighten out some false teaching. To, to guide them into truth, to make some things that are wrong right. And here, at this, as the letter sort of reaches a crescendo, he, he directs the reader, he directs his brothers and sisters who the letter is addressed to, uh, to the facts of their faith. <laughs> he directs their attention to the facts of their faith. He brings them back to these foundational truths. And this morning, we're here to consider these, these facts. Now, I'm believe it or not, too young. When I first started to come to Wallenstein, I was a guy in my early 40s. And now I'm 60, retired, grandchildren. How did that happen? But even though I'm a little older than some, I'm, I'm not old enough to have watched Dragnet, which was a crime show uh, 
a radio show, so it was on radio, and then it went to, the, to, to TV, good old black and white, in the 50s. It was kind of re-aired in the 60s. I might have seen a bit of it then, but Dragnet was a cop show, and, and, and Sergeant Bill Friday was attributed with this statement, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. In his investigation, we, we, we kind of might recall that statement, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. You know what the facts are? He never said that. <laughs> the character never said those words. What he did say was, all we want are the facts. Folks, this morning, all we want are the facts. And as we consider these facts, we hopefully will be encouraged with what these facts reveal. Well, what are the facts? Paul says in verse 1, now, brothers and sisters, he refocuses his audience. And he says, I want to remind you of the gospel truths, the gospel facts. By this gospel, he says, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word. Well, what is the gospel? What are the facts that Paul wanted to remind them of? Notice verses 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Verse 4, he was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to many people. Friends, those are the gospel facts. <laughs> When we introduce people to the message of the Bible, we often go to John chapter 3, verse 16, which is a wonderful central statement as to what this wonderful book is all about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 25 words that summarize the wonderful truth of this book. What's the middle word in that statement? We've talked about it before, right? What's the 13th word? 12 on one side, 12 on the other. What's the 13th word? It's the word son. This book is about God's son. And as we go to John 3.16, that's a great place to go. But go to, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here are the facts. Here are the gospel facts. Christ died for our sins, for your sins, for my sins. According to the scriptures, are you grateful for that reality and truth this morning? He died for your sins. He died for my sins. He was buried. In other words, there's no mistake about the fact that Christ died. There are those historically who want to manipulate these facts. We need to know them. No, he died on that cross and suffered for you and for me. He was buried in that tomb. What's the third fact, friends? He rose again according to the scriptures. Do you believe this? Do you believe that? What do you do with these facts? What do you do with these truths of the gospel that, that Paul brings these people back to? I hope you're here this morning as someone who has embraced those facts, who by faith has said, I believe that Jesus died for me. I hope there's been a moment in your life's experience where you've confessed your sin to God as I have, admitted it, owned up to it, and received Jesus Christ as my Savior and, and seek to follow him as my Lord. I hope you've had that experience in your life. I hope by faith you've embraced the facts because when we remind ourselves about the facts, friends, fear is eliminated and hope fills our hearts. Verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. 
Do I hear a hallelujah? Do I hear an amen? <laughs> Verse 20 to 22, Jesus is here described as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. William McDonald writes, First fruits were a handful of ripened grain from the harvest field before the actual harvest started. They were a pledge, a guarantee, a foretaste of what was to follow. The expression doesn't necessarily mean that Christ was the first to rise. We have instances of resurrection in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, cases of Lazarus, the widow's son, and Jairus' daughter. But Christ's resurrection was different from all of these in that whereas they rose to die again, Christ rose to die no more. He rose to live in the power of endless life. He rose with a glorified body. Following Jesus as the first fruits, there's coming a day when many others will be raised to new life, given a glorified body to die no more. The question we ask this morning is, who is that? Who is that? Who are those who the Bible talks about will be, will be raised again to new life? Those who have died and, and, and passed away physically, there's coming a day when, when there will be those referred to who will be, be raised again, given a new body, given a new body, <laughs> glorified body, a Christ-like body, one that will die no more, one that will reign with Him, one that will be in eternity with Him forever and ever. Who is that? Who are we talking about here? Well, let me draw your attention to one really important statement. Verse 22 says, For as in Adam all die. What does it say next? So in Christ all will be made alive. The question, the answer to the question is those who are in Christ will be made alive in the resurrection referred to here. Another question for you this morning, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? By nature, we are all in Adam, which means we're all subject to the consequences of our position as descendants of Adam, with the ultimate consequence being death. What a sad, fearful state to be in. But the good news this morning is found in the facts and remember the facts are that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He became the first of many who will be eternally raised from the dead with a glorified body unto eternal life, who will be eternally raised from the dead and, and, and will experience death no more, new life. That will be experience of those friends who it says are in Christ. These are the facts. Do you believe them? Have you exercised faith in them? If so, you are in Christ and as such can confidently expect to experience eternal life. I hope that hope fills your heart. Are you in Christ? You know, I was, I don't, what made me think about that, maybe listening to uh, this, this tropical, all the storms Phil referred to, all the horrible earthquakes and hurricanes and and just right now, this, this, this tropical storm that's kind of working its way up the east coast of the states. And I, and I thought about a, a, an experience I had many years ago. I probably shared with it uh, with you uh, here before, if not, maybe at Wildwood. Um, but these things come into my little brain just to help you understand what we're talking about, what it means to be in Christ. We were on a family holiday to Myrtle Beach. And um, 
we didn't have our third child, our, our daughter Mackenzie, who's 25 now. Uh, so it was just Brandon and Brooke and Sue and I, and they were little kids. And after a morning on the beach, uh, we had lunch, and I said to Sue, look, why don't you go take it easy? I'm going to take the two little guys. We're going to go and play some mini golf. You can't start learning golf soon enough. So I'm going to take these kids to play some mini golf. And so, beautiful day, off the golf course we go, golf course. Uh, if you've been to Myrtle Beach, they are kind of, you know, kind of a little extravagant compared to what we're used to here. And it was a lot of fun. And as we're kind of getting to the back nine, as I explained to the kids, um, we're like the 15th, 16th hole, things start to get a little black outside. A storm is moving in. We get to the 17th hole, and it's starting to rain, and the wind is getting a little crazy. But we don't walk off a golf course. We're going to finish. And so we come to the 18th hole, and at the end of the 18th hole is a cave. And you know how it works. You work your ball into the hole inside the cave. You say goodbye to your ball, and it's over. It's done. It is now a tropical storm. Lamp posts are sideways. Rain is sideways. And it was maybe the worst storm I've ever experienced. Unlike, I mean, many people around the world experience so much worse. I get it. But friends, we finished that 18th hole. <laughs> but we were safe in the cave. We were sheltered from the storm in the cave. And as I sat there, not really knowing what to do and missing my dear wife. I mean, I miss her when I'm away from her, but I was really missing her then because she's so much better at comforting little kids <laughs> than the warden is, you know? And I'm sitting there thinking, the, trying to talk to them, but man, they need somebody to sing some camp songs with them. They need... Can I tell you what happened? <laughs> Unbeknownst to me, and I don't know where they came from. Walking through that crazy storm, in the back door, the point of exit of that little cave, was a man with two uh, teenage girls, his daughters, who were older teens. I never saw them play that golf course in front of us. You can conclude what you want to conclude. I've made a conclusion in my own mind. They were wearing Christian camp t-shirts. They embraced my little kids and sang camp songs with them and comforted them. And they left and never saw them again. When that storm passed and I drove out of that parking lot, I was driving through three feet of water. Back to a hotel that had been evacuated except for my wife who was sound asleep I'm in a room and knew nothing of this whole experience. Okay, I got that out of my system. Friends, we were in the cave and we were safe. Are you in Christ this morning? If you are in Christ, you're safe. Regardless of the craziness of this world, regardless of the circumstances, because Christ died, was buried, and rose again. If you are in Christ, you will be raised also. There's coming a day when, when if we experience death in this life, 
we will be raised, our bodies will be raised to meet him in the air. We'll be taken home to be with him forever and ever. We will reign with him. Is that your experience? Is that your hope? Are you in Christ? If it is, say hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And I hope that that living hope fills your heart and fills your soul. Faith in the facts eliminates fear and produces hope. Notice, secondly, the facts concerning the Lord's return. First of all, the Lord's resurrection. Secondly, the facts returning, uh, concerning the Lord's return. Verse 23 says, But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, notice it, then when he comes, see what it says then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Jesus is coming again. Notice the facts. It's not if he returns. It is when he returns. <laughs> the Lord is returning. And he's returning at a time with those who belong to him, it says. And those who belong to him will be alongside. Are you in Christ this morning? Do you belong to him. Let's read these words of hope that are familiar to us and that we read once again to encourage our hearts. Paul writing to the Thessalonians in chapter 4 verse 13 uses the same introduction here as he's using in 1 Corinthians 15. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ, you get that? The dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. <laughs> Therefore, Paul says, I'm telling you this to encourage you with these words. When he comes, our glorious King, all his ransomed souls to bring. Then anew this song will sing. Hallelujah. What a Savior. These are the facts, friends. These are the facts concerning the Lord's resurrection, the Lord's return, and we come thirdly to our third and final point, the Lord's reign, verses 24. 28. These verses describe what follows the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth. One unknown scholar has written, God has made Christ ruler, administrator of all his plans and counsels. All authority and power are put in his hands. There is a time coming when he will render his account of the administration committed to him. After he has brought everything into subjection, he will hand the kingdom back to the Father. Creation will be brought back to God in perfect condition. At this moment, Jesus will have accomplished the work of redemption and restoration for which he became man. Look, friends, the bottom line is this. This old world is on a collision course with its creator. That's an awesome thought. 
Jesus is coming again. He's coming to rule by destroying all dominion, authority, and power in this sin-ravaged world. He's coming to reign. We read that those who are in Christ, who belong to Him, will reign with Him. Until He has put all His enemies under His feet. And according to verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And this leads to our message for next week, which I've entitled, The Future of Our Faith. Today, the facts of our faith. Next week, the future of our faith. Which is what? A glorified body. A resurrected body. Being in the presence of our Lord. Reigning with Him for all eternity in a new heaven and a new earth. Is that your hope today? Is that a living hope in your heart today? You see, what do we start out by saying? Are you fearful? Are you fearful of the circumstances? I get it if you are. There's a lot of circumstances that are really fear-provoking. I get it. I'm not diminishing that for a minute. Are you fearful of death itself? Faith in the facts eliminates fear and produces hope. I want to thank you for the assignment. Gary, thank you. My heart has been refilled with hope. Because regardless of what happens in this crazy world, friends, I'm just passing through. I'm going home. And one day we'll be in His presence forevermore. Not because of anything I have done. It's because of all that He has done for me. I simply have embraced it, taken it, accepted it, and by faith thanked Him for it. And I stand before you this morning simply as a sinner saved by grace. So these are the facts, and I need to close. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. When we exercise faith in these facts, our sins are forgiven, our relationship with God is restored, and we will inherit eternal life with a new glorified body, and we shall live in the presence of the Lord forever. Do you believe this? If so, brothers and sisters, you should be full of hope this morning and the joy of the Lord should fill your heart. I wish I could sing as well as Pastor Gary and his family, but I can't. So let me read this for you. God sent his son, they called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds the future. And life 
is worth the living just because he lives. And then one day I'll cross the river, I'll fight life's final war with pain, and then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he reigns. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living. Just because he lives. I'm going to finish. Um, during a conversation just like we had, I had with somebody on a Google Meet <laughs> colleague <laughs> who just started asking me questions who was struggling with figuring life out. And our conversations as they went from John 3.16 and 1 Corinthians 15, we kind of ended with Lee Strobel's books and who Lee Strobel was. Many of you know Lee Strobel, obviously an atheist, but came to Christ through the influence of his wife and more importantly the influence of the Holy Spirit. He, he went on a, a search of the facts and those, uh, uh, the outcomes of those, the, that research, which he as a law student, brilliant guy, I think he was a Princeton grad, um, Harvard grad, became the editor-in-chief of the Chicago Tribune. He took all those skills and he said, if this is true, I need to understand the facts. That's kind of the way he worked, the way his mind worked. My wife has embraced Christ. I want to check this all out for myself. So he, he went all over the world interviewing scholars. And one of the people interviewed in his book, The Case for Christ, I was just sharing this with, with this person, I want to share it with you now, was Gary Habermas. And Gary is a scholar on, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I just conclude with these final words in Lee Strobel's book. He says, before I left Gary's office, uh, I had one more question. Frankly, I hesitated to ask it because it was a bit too predictable, and I thought I'd get an answer that was a little too pat. The question concerned the importance of the resurrection. I figured if I asked Habermas, Gary, about that, he'd give me the standard reply about it being the center of the Christian doctrine, the axis around which the Christian faith turned. And I was right. He did give me that stock answer after all. But what surprised me was that this wasn't all he said. This nuts and bolts scholar, this burly and straight shooting debater, this combat-ready defender of the faith, allowed me to peer into his soul as he gave an answer that grew out of the deepest valley of despair he'd ever walked through. Gary rubbed his graying beard. The quick-fire cadence and debater's edge to his voice was gone. No more quoting scholars, no more building a case. I had asked about the importance of the resurrection, and Gary decided to take a risk by hearkening back to 1995 when his wife, Debbie, slowly died of stomach cancer. Caught off guard by the tenderness of the moment, all I could do was listen. I sat on our part, porch, he began, looking off to the side at nothing in particular. He sighed deeply, then went on. My wife was upstairs dying. Except for a few weeks, she was home through it all. It was an awful, awful time. This was the worst thing that could possibly have happened. He turned and looked straight at me. But you know what was amazing? My students would call me, not just one, but several of them, and say, at a time like this, aren't you glad about the resurrection? As sober as those circumstances were, I had a smile for two reasons. First, my students were trying to cheer me up with my own teaching. <laughs> and second, it worked. 
As I would sit there, I'd picture Job who went through all that terrible stuff and asked questions of God, but then God turned the tables and asked him a few questions. I knew if God were to come to me, I'd ask only one question. Lord, why is Debbie up there dying in that bed? And I think God would respond by asking gently, Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? I'd say, come on, Lord. I've written seven books on that topic. Of course he was raised from the dead. But I want, you to, I want to know about Debbie. I think he'd keep coming back with the same question. Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? Did I raise my son from the dead? Until I got the point. This point. His point. The resurrection says that if Jesus was raised 2,000 years ago, there's an answer to Debbie's death in 1995. And do you know what? It worked for me while I was sitting on the porch, and it still works for me today. It was a horribly emotional time for me, but I couldn't get around the fact that the resurrection is the answer for her suffering. I still worried. I still wondered what I'd do raising four kids alone, but there wasn't a time when that truth didn't comfort me. Losing my wife was the most painful experience I'd ever had to face, but if the resurrection could get me through that, it can get me through anything. It was good for 30 AD. It's good for 1995. It's good for 1998. And good, it's good 19 for 2021 and beyond, friends. <laughs> Gary locked eyes with mine. That's not some sermon, he said quietly. I believe that with all my heart. If there's a resurrection, there's a heaven. If Jesus was raised, Debbie will be raised. And I will be raised someday too. And then I will see them both. God bless you with the living hope that I hope is in your heart today. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your wonderful truth. We thank you for the facts of our faith. This morning we embrace them as our own and more importantly embrace your son our Savior, and we thank you for dying for us. We thank you for the tremendous truth of the resurrection. Father, help us to live in light of these resurrection truths. Fill our hearts with hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.